This podcast episode from Oncology Data Advisor was recorded live at the 2023 American Society of Hematology Annual Meeting in San Diego. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit oncdata.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on social media for more exclusive content and interviews from the meeting. Thank you so much for being here today with us, Dr. Chari. Would you like to begin with introducing yourself and your research interests? Sure, thanks for having me. My name is Ajay Chari. I'm a professor of clinical medicine and the director of the myeloma program at the University of California in San Francisco. Incredible, and thank you again for your time today. So um, to begin, would you like to give us a little overview of the Monumental One study? So the Monumental One study is actually the study that led to the first uh, GPRC5D therapy in myeloma. It's a bispecific antibody, and in the Monumental One study, uh, for which data has been presented previously, we found that at the recommended phase two dose, the response rate was over 70%. Uh, the progression-free survival of the 0.8 milligram per kilogram, which was given every two weeks, has a PFS of 14 months, which is quite impressive, I think, for an off-the-shelf product. We also presented data at IMS in Greece that one of the first drugs I've seen where the progression-free survival for high-risk and standard-risk are actually superimposable. Um, and we also didn't see a lot of infectious deaths or complications, even though this drug was in the, given in the era of COVID. So those are all the kind of uh, favorable efficacy findings. And importantly, the median time to response is about one month, and the median time to best response is three months. And those latter two points are important because there are some unique side effects with this agent that are what we would, I would characterize as on-target off-tumor, and those include uh, dyskusia or loss of taste, which can occur in as much as 70%, um, and also rashes, peeling of the hands and feet, um, and also diffuse maculopapular rashes, and finally nail changes. And I would say of those, the taste is the most challenging to deal with. And in this particular study that's being presented at ASH, the question was, since we know that this is a very active drug with rapid onset of response, um, can we back off on the dose? Um, and I should preface that we know we got the dose right initially because in this monotherapy, single agent, in median of five to six lines of therapy, many of whom were triple class exposed, even prior bispecific, you need this activity. And the maximal activity came at this dose. But we also know that at this dose, you got more side effects because these unique side effects that we mentioned, I wasn't seeing. When I was a phase one dose uh, uh, escalating participant as an investigator, we didn't see these side effects at the low doses. So the main question being asked in this study is how do we optimize the dosing and schedule to get those benefits but not have these side effects? You kind of started to talk about it, but I wanted to ask um, what was kind of like the spark that sparked the genesis thought of wanting to reduce the dosage of telcatumab? So we started with, the study's actually broken into two parts, what we're presenting. One is kind of a retrospective cohort. With a, What we did is looked at about 50 patients who had gotten telcatumab at one of either one of the two doses, um, 0.4 milligram per kilogram weekly, 0.8 milligram per kilogram every two week, or either of the doses in a, what we call prior T-cell redirection cohort. So in that combined data set of 50 patients, we found that there was no apparent decrease in efficacy with the reduction. Uh, in particular, progression-free survival seems to be maintained. But there's a lot of flaws in doing that kind of retrospective analysis. One of my favorite statements is, people who do better do better, right? So 
of course you're going to reduce doses in patients who are responding and they're going to do okay. But we wanted to confirm this in a prospective fashion, and I think that's the second part of the study. We looked at 19 patients in whom uh, partial response or better was attained, and then we reduced the dose uh, and in one of two ways. You can reduce dose intensity by either reducing the dose, so they went from 0.8 to 0.4 every two weeks, or by the schedule. So instead of going 0.8 every two weeks, it was 0.8 monthly. So those 19 patients who had one or the other kind of dose reduction, uh, we looked at those uh, outcomes, and we found, again, surprisingly, no differences in uh, efficacy. So response, PFS, duration of response, compared favorably with the overall cohort. And we found that the side effects actually, those four side effects that we discussed, trended towards getting better with the dose reduction. Uh, and that was nice to see. Um, one of the other interesting things we found in part of this analysis was uh, something that I've never seen in a myeloma study before, which was that in patients who had these side effects that are uh, on target off tumor, particularly this loss of taste and the palmer plantar peeling, um, there was a 20% higher likelihood of those patients having a response, which I know our solid tumor colleagues see because we have drugs that cause rashes that correlate with efficacy, but we don't have any drugs like this in myeloma where AEs correlate with efficacy, so it was a unique finding. Um, and so I think uh, that when you put this all together, I think it's exciting that while we need to do more work, this is a, a good first way of dealing with these side effects. Definitely, yeah. This is such an interesting and exciting study. So uh, I was also wondering, um, did these findings that you're learning about spark any interest to study the effects of dose reduction and other bispecifics besides telcatamab? Yeah, you know, uh, I want to mention uh, that actually reminded me of something else in this study that we looked at, which I think fits with what you were raising. Uh, we looked at what the impact of dose reduction, dose intensity reduction would be on the T-cell fitness. And what we found was um, reducing the dosing intensity didn't change the T-cell number. But there's a trend in the prospective cohort to less T-cell exhaustion by, for example, co-expression of PD-1 and, and TIGIT or LAG-3. So, um, which makes sense, because if you repetitively hammer T-cells with a bispecific, they get tired, uh, like teenagers who party too hard, right? And so maybe this dose attenuation makes a difference. Um, and I think other bispecifics are also starting to realize that. And I want to take a minute to mention, because I feel like sometimes people criticize the, the way these studies are done, um, and like, oh, well, people are being overdosed, or that dose was not right. We have to remember how clinical trials are done. Clinical trials are first done in patients who have exhausted all options. So if you're a pentadrug refractory or exposed myeloma patient, you need that 70% response rate. You don't have the luxury of waiting for 20, 30% and then trying to get it. So we always in myeloma want to start hard and pull back once we've achieved the goal, as opposed to starting wimpy and trying to catch up. That has never been borne out. Um, and so I think this philosophy of starting hard, uh, aggressive to capture the disease and backing off has been studied with other bispecifics as well. And another thing that's been studied by some bispecifics is to stop the drug altogether to give patients a break. And while it's very reasonable to ask what is the right dose and schedule, I think we have to distinguish, and this is what we're learning, is the initial dose and schedule to capture the disease in this heavily treated population may not be the long-term disease and schedule, but that's why we need studies like this to figure that out, right? So it's not that we should throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like, let's keep the baby in the bath. 
but like heat up the water, right? And so that's what I think these kinds of studies are doing. Um, and I think it's really gratifying to be able to give these patients an amazing response without compromising it. And I would say one final thing is uh, I've had the privilege of treating almost 100 patients with this drug. Mm -hmm. And in my 100 patient experience, um, I've only had one patient come off for non-progression, which I think speaks for itself. Yeah. I'm not, I don't have a magic sauce that I'm giving these patients. I'm, they're seeing their responses with myeloma, and I'm working with them and say, listen, I know you're having taste loss. Let's back off on the drug. We'll skip a dose, reduce the dose. And that's how we've been able to keep so many patients on so that they can get the maximal benefit. Definitely. This is so fascinating, Dr. Chari. Thank you so much. And, um... and you are now drinking the myeloma Kool-Aid because <laughs> everything myeloma is interesting and fascinating. It really is. It really is. And especially like in such a rapidly evolving field. So um, one question I was also curious about, how did the dose reduction affect the quality of life of the patients? Like what did you witness? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I'm still waiting to get that PRO data. Um, and uh, as soon as I have it, I'll, I'll share it. But uh, I, I don't have it right now. But I think it's a super important question because it doesn't matter what we say, it's what the patients experience, especially for these unique side effects. And I would say that's one other point. Part of the challenge with working with these unique side effects like dyscusia, it's not a side effect we've been dealing with in myeloma or in even in oncology in general very much. Even our head and neck colleagues, they have a lot of dry mouth and different toxicities, but um, we really haven't found a way of really well describing this well. So future work on this space is to first get better tools, right? Discusia right now by the NCI criteria is grade one or two. Well, that doesn't capture the full patient experience. That's like saying, you know, everything else in CTC criteria should be one and two. No, it's one to five, right? So we need better tools to assess the severity. We need to get granularity because taste actually has different components, bitter, salt, sweet, sour. We're not doing granular tests on that. Um, and so if we're going to really make a dent, we need to characterize the problem first, and then we need to understand the pathophysiology, why does this happen, and then start targeting it with the right supportive care. But I think in the meantime, because that's a lengthy process, let's at least figure out the, the right dose for a patient if they've had a good response. Definitely. And um, what were some limitations that you experienced in this study that you would like to address in the future? I think, obviously, these are small numbers. The retrospective cohort had 50 patients. The prospective had 19. Um, but I think we, the data are so compelling. Um, the drug is so active. And we know that as a class, bispecifics are very different than all the other drugs we've had in myeloma, where historically, if you had drug X and you had a response, if you held it for a week or two weeks or a month, your myeloma is coming right back. That's not what we're seeing here. We're seeing a big delta between PFS and DUR, which means that these remissions are quite durable and we have the luxury of pulling back. Um, and so all the future studies with telquetamab are actually doing the 0.8 milligram per kilogram every two weeks, and they're building in this planned dose de-escalation at around three months when the response is captured. Um, because I think as we try to understand the granularity and supportive care mechanisms, this will go a long way of keeping people, uh, keeping patients comfortable and enjoying their quality of life. Definitely. Um, final question I was going to ask you was like, what are you and your team's next steps? But I think you answered that. So um, 
Is there anything else you would like to add on that you think would be important to? I think the one final point I would make is that in my experience, a lot of these side effects do improve when patients come off therapy, and I think that's another important message to convey to patients. Like, look, uh, when you're consenting patients for this drug, here are the side effects, but the responses are rapid. I'm going to work with you to find the right dose and schedule for you long term. And I think that in initial consenting part goes a long way in how patients approach uh, their, their disease and treatment. So um, I think that would be a good thing to share with patients. Definitely. Well, this has been a really fantastic discussion, Dr. Jari. Thank you so much for your time and your passion on this topic. Thank you so much for having me.